0: Welcome to Sharper Iron, Back to the Forge. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We're coming to you this month with some bonus podcast material to help you sharpen your faith in Christ. Our trip back to the forge today involves some listener email, some questions that were brought up by some of the conversations that we had concerning the Gospel of Mark with our guests. Today, particularly, we're going to be considering how the devil worked against Jesus, and some of the questions that came up, particularly as we were looking at Mark chapter 8. There was some conversation on Sharper Iron about those who don't believe— those who are opposed to jesus and the work of satan against them it was the pharisees and scribes who came to jesus looking for a sign from him and their work was described as satanic how are we to understand that how is satan at work against unbelievers particularly what was it that made the Pharisees and the scribes particularly satanic in the gospel of Mark? What is the power of Satan over unbelievers? That's the first question we're going to talk about here on Back to the Forge. So to get started, let's think about the scribes and the Pharisees within the gospel of Mark. I think the text to go to first is in Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, Scribes come down from Jerusalem, and they're saying about Jesus, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So the scribes, the enemies of Jesus, are trying to connect the work of Jesus with the work of the devil. And as Jesus replies, he makes the very obvious argument, look, if Satan is casting out Satan, then he's going to quickly fall. In fact, that's not what's going on, Jesus says. Jesus has come as the stronger man, the one who will defeat Satan, the one who will bind him and win back his own people. And as a part of that conversation, Jesus says this. I'm going to read Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 28. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. That last note in verse 30, they were saying he has an unclean spirit. That's Mark explaining what's going on. The reason I think that this text is important when it comes to the scribes and the Pharisees and characterizing their opposition to Jesus as satanic is the very connection that those enemies of Jesus tried to make. They tried to say that Jesus was working in league with the devil. Jesus, in his answer, makes it clear that no, he is not in league with the devil. Jesus is not working with Satan. He's not working with Beelzebul. Instead, Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit. We know that all the way back in Mark chapter 1, where the baptism of our Lord is recorded in Mark chapter 1. The Spirit descends on Jesus. And then right after that, what does Mark say? Mark 1 verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus is doing his ministry in connection with the Holy Spirit. And when the scribes and the Pharisees try to say that Jesus is in league with the devil, they're actually sinning against the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. And that rejection of the Spirit's gift of faith, that is what leads to condemnation. And because of that, because of that rejection of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit to bring faith through the word of Jesus, because of that, these scribes, these Pharisees, have actually allied themselves with the devil. They've allied themselves with the prince of demons. They had tried to accuse Jesus of working in league with the devil. But in so doing, they've actually allied themselves with that very enemy. And so in that sense, yes, we would say that the scribes, the Pharisees, their opposition to Jesus is Satanic. And we can actually say a little bit more. Perhaps you're familiar in the baptismal liturgy in the Lutheran service book, the hymnal that is used in many of our congregations in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. On page 268, you get the baptismal liturgy. And as it begins, the pastor is explaining what baptism is, what baptism does, what God's word says about holy baptism. And as a part of that opening liturgy, the pastor says these words. This is on page 268 of Lutheran Service Book. The Word of God also teaches that we are all conceived and born sinful and are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us as his own. I'll repeat that last part. We are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us. Claims us as his own. When we are lost in unbelief and rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ, we are actually under the power of the devil. We would differentiate between being under the power of the devil in unbelief and being actually physically, bodily possessed by the devil, as we see examples in the Gospel of Mark of that. We would differentiate between those two things. But we should not lose sight of the fact that to be in unbelief is to be under the power of the devil. Dr. Francis Pieper, a teacher from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, wrote Christian Dogmatics, a three-volume set. You've probably seen it on your pastor's shelf. And in volume one of that three-volume set, on page 509, Dr. Pieper is talking about the work of the devil, and his demons. And he says this. He says, We must never forget that every unbeliever is completely in the power of Satan until God's grace and power delivers him from the power of Satan and translates him into the kingdom of his dear son. Every unbeliever is completely in the power of Satan until God's grace and power delivers him. That's pretty profound. Where is that in Scripture? Francis Pieper helps us. There's a lot of places we can look. Perhaps most clear is a verse from Colossians chapter 1. St. Paul writes in verses 13 and 14, He, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or perhaps... We should hear these words from Ephesians chapter 2, the very beginning of that chapter. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. That's a pretty dire situation to be under the power of the devil in unbelief, separated from Christ, separated from our Heavenly Father. That's where we all were, St. Paul says. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for His grace. That's where Ephesians 2 goes. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved. The grace of God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be that stronger man, to bind our enemy, the devil, and to plunder us, to take us out of Satan's domain and bring us into the kingdom of his marvelous light. That's why the work of Christ that St. Mark records for us is such wonderful news. Because we see our Savior, Jesus Christ, defeating our worst enemy, Satan, and rescuing us and bringing us into his kingdom of grace and glory. That's the first question for our consideration here on Back to the Forge. The second question is related. When it comes to the work of Satan against Jesus, you might have heard your pastor, and you might have heard on Sharper Iron, Now, we've talked about how Satan, at various points in Jesus' ministry, actually tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross, which might seem a little strange. Didn't the devil want to kill Jesus? Why would the devil want to stop Jesus from going to the cross? How do we see the devil doing that? What's going on? This is a really good question. Because I think that we see a little bit of both from the devil. And the place I want to start as we consider the devil's work against Jesus is actually in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, St. John has this vision, a very cosmic vision. He sees the totality of history. And in the totality of history, he sees this great dragon, who's trying to destroy a child. This is Revelation 12, beginning in verse 3. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, there's a lot that could be said about those verses alone from Revelation 12 and even the whole chapter. That's not our purpose here. Maybe someday we'll get to the book of Revelation on sharper iron. For our purposes right now, notice how St. John sees the devil as this dragon who is hell bent on destroying Jesus. The devil is out to hurt, to harm to destroy Jesus in absolutely whatever way he can. And one of those ways is to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. You see, the devil heard what God said back in Genesis 3.15. Those words were actually spoken to the devil at that moment, that the child would come, the offspring of woman would come and crush the serpent's head. Even while the serpent struck at the offspring's heel, the offspring was going to crush the serpent's head. The devil knew those words. The devil knew that Christ's cross was all for God's salvation of sinners. And so he, at various times in Jesus' ministry, tried to tempt Jesus from going to the cross. Perhaps the clearest place that we see this is when Peter, after confessing Jesus to be the Christ, tries to stop Jesus from talking about his suffering and death. Remember after Jesus asks his apostles to answer the question, who do you say that I am? Peter gives the right answer. You are the Christ. Or Matthew says more fully, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus starts to explain to them what that actually means. means he's going to suffer. It means he's going to be killed. It means he's going to, on the third day, rise from the dead. And Peter, the same one who just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, now he takes that one who he just confessed to be the Christ and he, he pulls him aside and actually rebukes him. Peter rebukes Jesus. And he says in Matthew 16, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter has no place in his mind for Jesus going to the cross. And it's what Jesus says to Peter in response that shows us that the devil's actually at work here, trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling the mission of salvation. Jesus responds. He turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Satan is behind what Peter's saying there. Satan is the one who doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. We put that text together with some of the things that we know happened at Jesus' temptation. Now, St. Mark doesn't give us a lot of the dialogue. He's very quick in the way that he records it. But we know from St. Matthew and St. Luke that there's some back and forth between Jesus and the devil out there in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the first temptation goes like this. The tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Notice how the devil wants Jesus to use his divine power for himself. That's the same sort of temptation that would lead Jesus off the cross. And isn't it something? How on the cross it is the chief priests, the scribes, the elders who echoed those words of Satan. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. There's that temptation of the devil coming again at the critical moment, tempting our Lord to forsake the Father's will, tempting our Lord to forsake the cross, and so forsake our salvation. And in that way, the devil does want Jesus to come down from the cross. That is the temptation he throws at our Lord. Now, at the same time, Satan really proves himself to be quite short-sighted throughout the Gospels, throughout history, in fact, in the way that he attacks. Which is why I think that text from Revelation 12 is very helpful. Satan's just out to devour Jesus. In whatever way that he can attack Jesus, he's going to. And so, there are times where it seems that Satan loses sight of the reality of that Genesis 3.15 promise. So, for example... In Luke chapter 22, Luke tells us Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. Satan wants Judas to betray Jesus. Judas' betrayal of Jesus is prompted by the work of Satan. And so, does Satan take pleasure in the fact that Jesus is on the cross? I think that's the picture that the scriptures give us. It goes along with what Genesis 3.15 says. Satan strikes Jesus on the heel. That's what serpents do. They bite. That's their job. And so Satan did that to Jesus. He bit Jesus on the heel. Luke chapter 22, later in that chapter, as Jesus is being arrested, he says to the chief priests, the officers who've come against him, he says this, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. He says this then, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. So is Satan at work to get Jesus on the cross, to kill Jesus? Does he delight in that, the death of the son of God? You bet Satan does. But there's also that temptation at the same time because somewhere Satan seems to know if Jesus does die, I'm done for. And we we see that short-sightedness of Satan. It was another guest on Sharper Iron who put that phrase into my vocabulary. Satan is very short-sighted in the way that he attacks. He's always got just the the thing right in front of him. That's all he can see. And so if at the moment, killing Jesus, that's what's there, he's going to do it. But there are those moments where he does have that big picture in mind. And he knows that the crucifixion of Jesus is what's going to do him in. And so that's the temptation. That's the temptation that comes at Jesus at critical moments in his ministry. None more critical than there on the cross when he's called upon to come down so that people will believe. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't come down from the cross. Thanks be to God. He didn't come down from the cross, and he finished our salvation so that we would believe in him as our crucified and risen Savior. And in the crucified and risen Savior, you and I have this victory over this terrible enemy, Satan, the devil who would attack us, who would attack Jesus. Jesus has won the victory for us, the old evil foe, Now means deadly woe, deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. With might of ours cannot be done. Soon were our loss affected. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye who is this? Jesus Christ it is. Jesus Christ is the one who has won the victory over The devil for you and for me. Thanks be to God. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for coming back to The Forge with us today. If you have a question or a comment that you'd like to see addressed, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon.